Um, I wanted to do a few things before we jump into the text this morning, all right? One, uh, last week, first of all, uh, did you enjoy last week? I thought last week, the Mission Sunday um, was an amazing day, and just thank you all, everybody who helped make that happen. Um, it was just awesome to see all the different ways. I just sat there and was just uh, so grateful. My heart's still full at just seeing all the different ways that God's using you, using our church and working through us uh, to be on mission. And uh, in the message that was shared, I was just challenged by that. Look forward to seeing uh, the fruit that comes from it. Uh, also want to remind you, speaking of being missional, that a uh, great opportunity for you to be missional is coming up because Easter is not that far away. All right. So uh, Easter is a great day to invite people to come to church. People are more apt to come to a service, maybe unchurched folks. People don't have a relationship with Christ or for some reason people are more apt to come on that day. So today we have some uh, invite cards, some Easter invite cards, little business class cards that will be in the back on your way out. There's plenty of those. We got, I think, a couple thousand of those. So grab you a little stack, uh, take those with you and, and pass those out. Invite folks to come to church if they don't have a place to worship on Easter here at Chandler Drive. Also want to remind you that this Saturday we have our second car show, annual car show uh, here at uh, Schindler Drive. And so uh, check out our website uh, for um, more information about that. Uh, but don't miss it. There's supposed to be uh, some bad weather, but it's supposed to be later on that day. So we're, uh, the show is going on. So we're moving on. So uh, show up and uh, you'll enjoy it. Check out some cars and it'll be a great day uh, for our church family to come and fellowship with people from our community. There'll be people right here on our campus uh, to have gospel conversations, get to know folks, even use that as an opportunity to invite folks to church. All right, so let's jump in. Uh, we are landing the plane this week and next week in the uh, book of James. And uh, here's you get to the end of the book, what you realize is what James is going to do is he's circling back to something that he hit on at the beginning of the book. Remember, he had very first out of the gate, he talks about how we should walk through trials as authentic believers, as authentic disciples. All right. We've already been instructed in those earlier verses to walk through trials, to count them joy, to count it a joy to walk through trials. And here at the uh, end of the book, he's circling back to trials, knowing this is a real part of our life. Uh, that we'll experience uh, from from the moment that we enter the world to the moment that we leave it. Uh, and he says, here what I want you to think about is authentic discipleship is about learning to be patient in trials. So he's going to talk about patience in trials. Are you a patient person this morning? Some One person's honest this morning, said no out loud. All right. Are you a person who hates to wait? All right, can I confess to you just right out of the gate this morning? I struggle with this. All right, I don't like to wait. And I got a feeling that I'm not alone in that struggle this morning, right? In fact, we try to find ways that where we can avoid, where we even have to try to show patience, right? That's why we like microwaves. That's why we like fast passes. That's why we like online shopping, prime shipping. That's why we like ad-free music, ad-free TV shows. That's why we like to skip the ads to get to the show, uh, right? Why, why? Because we don't like to wait, all right? We don't like to wait in traffic. We don't like to wait too long in a waiting room, right? At the doctor's office. We don't like to wait in a line that's too long at the grocery store, right? So there's moments that you get to the front of the store and you got your buggy and you realize, oh no, one lane's open and there's two people in the lane. Like, do I really need this food? Do I really need these groceries? Do the kids really need to eat this week? This is going to waste minutes of my life, right? And if the lanes are open, you know, what are you doing? You're counting the stuff in your buggy so you can get to the express lane, right? If you got 12, 13, you're rounding down to 10, right? Some of y'all, I get upset, those people who, you know, rounding down from 25. I know none of y'all are those people, right? 
but we don't like to wait. Are you a patient person? The truth is we struggle with this. We don't like detours. We don't like interruptions. We don't like inconveniences. You know what we're good at? We're good at being impatient, bad at being patient. But by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life, God's desire for us as authentic disciples is to mature us into patient disciples. We must learn to wait, right? We must learn to wait. You know, example of waiting, I think about maybe like the kid in the department store who was there by the escalator and he was uh, sitting there and he's watching, he's just watching the railing, you know, go around and around and around. And a security guard came up and he said, are you lost? And he didn't even look at the security guard. He just looked at the railing. He said, no, sir. He said, do you need some help? He said, no, sir. He said, what are you doing sitting here? He said, I'm waiting. He said, waiting on what? He said, I'm waiting on my chewing gum. Come back down. I've been sitting here waiting on it for a while. That was a joke. You can go, oh, gosh, okay. It's going to be a long morning. It went good in the first service. All right. The truth of the matter is James, that went so bad. That's so funny. That was, that was terrible. <laughs> this is where I'm going with that. James is going to instruct us to be patient this morning. And he's going to give us some examples that are way more powerful than the kid by the escalator. And we're going to see that in this passage this morning. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, this is a sermon that I've needed. So I'm just going to preach to myself and you're welcome to listen in this morning. All right. So stand up with your Bibles open. I'm not telling any more jokes this morning. (laughs) Verse seven, be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the earlier, the early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door as an example of suffering and patience. Here it is, brothers. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you once again as we walk through James. It is not an easy book to go through, but it is a necessary book for us to work through. And so we pray as your Holy Spirit convicts us this morning that we would remember in our heart that you are a God who loves us, that cuts us to heal us, that you use a surgeon's knife. And so, Lord, I pray that in a way that we lay ourselves on the operating table spiritually this morning. And we'd allow you to work and that we'd be changed for our good and your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice how verse 7 begins there with an exhortation. Be patient then, therefore, brothers. All right? So if you're a student of the word, you understand when you see therefore... That's an indication. You need to ask the question, what's this there for? And it'll usually push you back to the previous section and you can understand what it's there for. It's a connecting phrase. All right. It's connecting us to the previous section that we were in two weeks ago. So just to refresh your memory, that's the section where James is kind of going Old Testament prophet on those uh, wicked, wealthy, cruel landowners who are oppressing the poor. And what James is doing here when he says, therefore, is he's turning his attention away from those landowners that he was rebuking, that he was uh, speaking judgment over. And he's turning his attention to the one, the poor Christians that they were oppressing, to those who were suffering 
the hand of those cruel and wicked people. And here's his exhortation for them. For those who are suffering. He says this. Be patient. That's his exhortation. And as we think about how they were suffering. Dragged into courts unjustly. They were being lied to. Mistreated. Some of them even killed. This is where we understand that when James is talking about patience right here, he's not primarily talking about learning to wait in the line this morning. He's not talking about having patience in, you know, in a way that you try to keep your cool when you're trying to find a parking spot at the mall this week. He's not talking about patience as in trying to keep your cool in a traffic jam. Those are important. And what we'll look at this week can certainly apply to those situations. But this is where we realize that he's addressing real people who are dealing with real difficult problems. And I don't know who's here today. I don't know who needs to hear this, but I'm confident that some of you need to hear this message today. This message is for you because you are in a trial and you wish it was as easy as standing in a line. You wish it was easy, as easy as trying to have some patience waiting in line at the gas station or waiting in line at the doctor's office. See, that's just it. It was when you went back out of that waiting room behind those doors at the doctor's office and you got a report maybe recently where your trial began. And you wish it was as easy as being out in, 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 the, in the waiting room trying to have some patience and not lose your cool because you feel like you should have already been called back. Some of you are going through an intense season of suffering right now. And I want you to know this message is for you this morning. And you say, well, I'm not really going through anything intense this morning. Well, I just want you to, to know this. You need to take this passage and you need to hold it. Listen this morning and you need to hold it close to your heart because there's a guarantee as long as you got air in your lungs and a heart beating in your te- chest, Christians, that you will walk through a season of suffering. It may be a week from now. It may be five years from now. But you will enter into a season of suffering. And when you do, the command over your life that James has given us this morning is to be patient. The question is how? How can we as impatient people be patient? Well, James The Holy Spirit through James comes alongside of us and helps us. And he's going to help us by pointing to the future. Then he's going to point to the past. And then he's going to make a final point that will feel random, but it's really not. And he's going to say, also watch your mouth. Number one, point number one. In light of the future, we can practice patience. In light of the future, we can practice patience. We see this in verse seven and eight. Two times in those verses, he points to the, the coming of the Lord, uses that phrase. I believe that's referring to the second coming of Christ. So what he's saying is this, in light of the, the truth of the second coming of Christ, be patient. And that there gives us a, a very, there's a distinct quality about the kind of Christian patience that we're called to right here. This is not patience in, in that I'll do my best to just kind of wait around uh, since I have no other choice or some kind of generic form of patience, just trying to kind of deal with the problems as best that I can. No, listen, as disciples, what James is showing us this morning is that as we encounter detours, as we encounter seasons of suffering, as trials show up, on the doorstep of our life, often as unwanted, uninvited guests that barge in and settle down and make our lives miserable and it's out of our control. When that happens, we're called to patience. The kind of patience that, that is us remaining faithful to God, devoted to God, worshiping God through the suffering, in spite of the hurt, trusting God, waiting, waiting with hope. Christian patience is a hopeful Waiting. He says, think about the farmer to illustrate this, to illustrate this. All right. Think farming is something that, you know, that agrarian culture back then, they would have immediately connected with it. But we can still in general, you know, very, we have a general understanding of farming. So it connects with us as well. 
And in that first century, uh, in that Middle East uh, farming calendar, you had the early rains that would fall in October and November, and then you had the early rains that would fall in March and April. And that, of course, was a, a necessity in order to be a farmer, but that was out of the farmer's control, right? But the most important part of his farming experience, that was out of his control. But there were, so he just had to wait. But there were things in his control, right? He tilled the ground. He put the seeds in the ground. But there was a lot, again, that he couldn't control. Couldn't control the temperature. Couldn't control the seed actually growing. So all he could do was to do what he could control in the moment and then just wait. And he waited. And he showed amazing patience. Farmers are the most patient people. And why are they patient? Why? Because they know the rain is coming. And they know with it, the crops are going to come. So he could be patient with confidence. Here it is, because the farmer has an end in sight. And James is saying, it's a very simple point to grab onto. He's saying, when we find ourselves in seasons of suffering, we can practice patience through it because we're keeping, and as we're keeping, an actual historical future event that will happen on the timeline of human history in view within our hearts. And what is that future event that our heart must stay locked onto? And as it does, we can experience patience, the return of Christ. And James says it's at hand. So let me ask you, how are you suffering this morning? What kind of trial are you walking through? I want you to know, no matter what trial it is, the return of Christ is your great hope this morning. See, for the original readers, the, the time, kind of suffering, again, the specific kind of suffering that they were experiencing was this oppression at the hands of these evil, cruel people, right? And they, what, how did they want to handle that? They, they were these cruel, you know, landowners were punching them in the teeth over and over again unjustly. You know what they wanted to do back to them? They wanted to kick them in the teeth. They were suffering. And what does James say? He says, don't do that. Be patient. He's lifting their heads and saying, be patient. Don't do that. Listen, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to judge the wicked. He's coming back to deliver his people. Vengeance is his. Leave it up to him. And maybe that's a word for you this morning. And you need to leave that to God. So you can be patient in your suffering, but it may be a different kind of trial as as we're certain that uh, the church at that time were, were struggling in all kinds of different ways. Well, how do I know that? Read the second verse of the first chapter of this book. It says they were dealing with trials of various kinds. It's a reminder that no matter what trial you face, a major key to suffering well is keeping the return of Christ in view. Believing with all of your heart that as sure as God raised his son from the dead, that there's coming a day when Jesus is going to return, that he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. All suffering will be gone. All sin, all shame, all sorrow, all sickness, all death will be no more forevermore. Suffering is going to end. It will not be forever. It'll end either when I die or when Jesus comes back. That's what James is getting our minds on this morning. There is coming a day in our life, in my life and in yours in Christ Jesus, when patience will be something that we won't need anymore. And because that's true, that truth gives me power to be patient and to hang in there in the middle of whatever I'm going through. The question is, do I believe that? That's the problem with with many of us right now. Is do we truly, how deeply do we believe that? How many moments have you spent today? How many moments over the last week, every day that you spend thinking this could be the day? 
Or is it just something that we kind of can acknowledge, but it really doesn't impact our lives as much as it should moment by moment, right? We don't stop like we should. And and, and remember, our generation could be the generation. There's never been a generation closer to the coming of Christ than than us. Just think about it. Were they, were, were people expecting it when Christ came the first time? And think about what was going on. You know, think about how even in the nation of Israel, God's people, how generation after generation, they were celebrating the Passover, celebrating the Exodus, celebrate or waiting the savior in, in festivals and with their words and with their religious activity. But it turned into kind of probably some religious repetition for a lot of people. Instruction, you're just supposed to pass on to the next generation. And I'm telling you, in evangelical Christianity, we're in danger of having the same kind of mindset. But in those days, when no one expected it, it was just something you just passed on to the next generation. All of a sudden, as Galatians says, in the fullness of time, a baby Christ the Lord was born. In one day, in the same way, at a time no one knows except God, Jesus will come again. Do you believe it? The question is, are we living like we believe it? Are you living like eternity is just ahead? Are you living like heaven is just ahead? Because if you're like me, there's times where eternity and heaven can feel so far away. Now, the older I get, the more in tune I am with that reality that life is certainly a mist. James covered that a few weeks ago. When you're younger, it's it's really Time is, is a weird thing. It feels like it goes by slow, right? Max recently asked me about a toy that he wanted. And Max, he, he's got his money, man. He's, he's frugal. He saves his money. He don't like to spend his money. He likes to spend my money. And he asked me about a toy. Well, you got money. Well, he didn't want to use his money on it. And I said, well, how about you put that on your Christmas list? Now, you got to understand Max's birthday, I said your birthday or Christmas list, his birthday is seven days before Christmas, all right? So I said, put that on your, your, your Christmas list. He said, but Christmas is forever away. Christmas is forever away. And to him, it feels that way. It feels like eternity, right? I know that time's flying by. I know because when he said that, and I was thinking about this message, I looked it up and today we're 39 weeks away from Christmas. Now, some of you are like, why did you do that? Why? Can we just get to Easter, please, and then take it from there, right? I'm with you. I'm just saying, hey, I'm just saying, here it is, lean into this. I'm just saying we got to be careful when it comes to the reality of heaven and eternity, when it comes to the return of Christ, that our minds, that that doesn't fall on our minds like a spiritual seven-year-old. Like, yeah, 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 it's out there, it's somewhere out there, yeah, but it's nothing to get too hyped up about today. Listen, heaven does at times feel like an eternity away, but in light of eternity, it is a brief moment away. Just think about friends and think about how it should impact your suffering, your, your, your state of mind in your suffering, your attitude, your heart in the middle of suffering. Just think about friends and family members that we have who are already there. People we knew, people we talked to, they're there. I was talking to somebody recently who was dealing with the death of their parent and they said it dawned on me. They're there. I'm their child. I came from them. It's it's not far away. And it should impact the way we live our life in the here and now. But think about how it should impact us in our suffering by thinking about what they're dealing with, what they're seeing right now, what they're experiencing. There's loved ones. We know who died in Christ, who are there. 
enjoying the glory and the perfection and the suffer free and sin free, joy filled, peaceful atmosphere and bliss of heaven. If they could stand before you this morning as you walk through your suffering, what would they say to you? What would they say to you in light of heaven? As you present the struggles that you're dealing with here on earth, they would say, listen, it's true. Life is a mist in heaven and being here with Jesus is better than you could ever imagine. And you got to believe me, it's worth the wait. The years after years after years of spending eternity with Jesus is filled with more goodness and more glorious moments of bliss than the human vocabulary can handle. And it makes life on this earth with all of its difficulties and all of its problems and all of its struggles and all of its difficult people that you deal with at times and all of its suffering worth it. It makes it worth it. Pales in comparison. Listen to what Paul said. He said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, for this light in momentary affliction, that's the way he talked about great suffering in his life is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen that we see in this world, the suffering, but to the things that are unseen. Eternity, the coming of Christ. What people are experiencing in heaven, even in this moment right now, they would say, oh, if you could just get a glimpse of it, it would make everything you're walking through right now. Listen, be patient, wait, listen, just hang in there, keep serving Jesus. It's going to be worth it. No matter how bad it feels right now. Now we have to work at that, don't we? That's why he says there in verse 8, establish that in your hearts. In other words, Christian patience is not passivity. It's not something we're going to arrive at with a passive attitude. It's something you have to preach to your heart every single day. You've got to preach the brevity of life to your heart every single day. You've got to preach the reality of eternity to your heart every single day. And here's what James is saying. As you do, as in light of the future, as you think about that, you can practice patience. Number two, in light of the past, practice patience. Look at verses 10 and 11. Again, it's and basically he's saying right here as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So what did James just do? He pointed forward to an event that can encourage us and motivate us to practice patience in the moment. And now what does he do? He's pointing to the past, to specific examples that can help us practice patience in the moment. And James is doing two things as he's bringing up these examples, the prophets and Job. Those are the two examples that he brings up. One, he's showing us this, that suffering's not anything new. All right, we need this, right? Because we can, we can get really to feeling sorry for ourselves when things go bad. And I'm trying to dismiss feelings, and it, it, we need to understand that in the presence of God, we can be human and run to him and come as we are. But we can get into a pattern, especially, as I said a few weeks ago, when we live in an affluent society, we can get really used to comfort, really used to convenience to where when our, our life hits suffering, we can often think there might be, there, it has to mean that I've done something wrong. And yet you look back and what we see when we think about the prophets is these men who walked with God. Listen, we're not the first to suffer. One commentator I read said it this week, we aren't blazing a trail with our suffering, but we're traveling a well-worn path. 
Jesus, of course, is our ultimate example. He's the greatest example of suffering we have. But James isn't pointing to Jesus right here. He's pointing to specific people, I believe, because he's making sure he wants us to know, hey, you're not the first to go through this. There have been faithful men and women who were walking with Jesus, who had those unexpected, unwelcome, uninvited visitors come into their life. And they suffered in crazy, unimaginable ways, but remained faithful through it. And I want to point them, point you to them one, so you know that it's not anything new, but I want you, I want to point to their example so that you know that it's possible for you to practice patience through your time of suffering. I mean, think about the way they struggled in ways, the prophets that he's pointing out here in ways that we'll, we'll never struggle at those levels, the way that they struggled. I mean, you got guys, they're saying things and they're, they're, they're struggling and they're being oppressed and they're walking through tribulation and trials because they're doing things right. They're speaking truth and they're offending kings, pagan, wicked kings who are making their life miserable. You got Jeremiah who's left to die on a well. You got Daniel who's ripped away from his family unjustly and taken into captivity and mistreated. You got many prophets. Think about this. Many prophets who were just faithful doing ministry, preaching the good news of God. Preaching hope, pointing people to God. Preaching repentance, doing what they were supposed to do, and yet they died, never seeing the harvest of revival that came from the seeds that they planted because they died before they ever got to see it. And yet what? They were patient through those lonely years of planting seeds. And it reminds us when we, especially when we suffer, when it's tied to our Christianity, when it's tied to our faith, I believe another reason why James is giving us this is because he wants us to know, hey, be encouraged. Remember this. When you suffer, you're in good company. You're not the first to suffer. Count it a blessing that James is putting us in a group with these prophets right there. When we suffer, it's an extremely encouraging thing to look back on this and to think about it. We're in good company. And then that, what, what it causes us to do is it causes us to go, oh, wait a second. They remain faithful through intense amounts of suffering. And the same God who is faithful to carry them through is the same God who's going to be faithful to carry me through. The same God who's perfect track record of perfect faithfulness that I see in their life is the same God who's at work in my life. Also, look at what they did. What does it say that they did? It said they spoke the name of the Lord. They stayed on task, on mission in the middle of their suffering. Rather than stopping, rather than sitting on the sideline, they they used it as a platform of ministry. And maybe you need to hear that this morning. Don't let your suffering sideline you. Let it create a platform for you to bring glory to God, draw close to him, stay on mission for him. You know what that leads us to? It leads us to the specific example that we see that he points at, talking about the prophets, and then he hones in on one example of someone who did just that, and his name is Job. He says, look back and think about Job. We know the story of Job, many of us. Lost his family, lost his farm, lost his wealth, lost his health, lost his fitness, almost lost his faith. His so-called friends came along. They didn't help much. They tried to convince him that his suffering was related to some sin in his life and God was punishing him for it. And then his, and then his darling sweet wife came along. And she, do you know the story of Job? She came along after all that happened and she said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Thank you, sweetheart, for your encouragement. I think that's pretty fun. Think, think about 
Think about that for a second. So what God allowed Satan to do was to just take anything he wanted away from Job to where Job would suffer. And Satan was, Satan was confident that he'd be able to get Job to turn away from God. So he did everything he could to make that happen. But again, think about that. So he took, his objective is to get him to turn away from God, from a good God. So he takes away all his belongings. He takes, he gives him this. He covers him with this painful skin disease. He kills his workers. He kills his children and all of his animals, but leaves his wife there. I'm just going to keep moving on from that. He's like, she'll help me with my project that I'm doing here. Now, if you know the story, you know that Job doesn't handle this perfectly. He doesn't handle his season of suffering perfectly. He wasn't sitting there like a stoic every day going, thank you, God, for more suffering. Just give me more. Praise the Lord. You give and you take away. Every day wasn't that way. He had incredible moments of faith that I'll get to in just a second. But listen, he was a human being just like us. Again, this is the reason why James is bringing up these examples. There are people who had air in their lungs, a heart beating in their chest, just like us. They woke up every day with their family, went to work. Ate food, went to sleep. They, they lived lives just like ours. And he's pointing to them, showing us that they were faithful. But also, listen, they weren't perfect. Job got upset. He, he, he was confused. He lamented it to the point where he even got rebuked by, for, by God a couple times. It was hard. It was difficult. For 37 chapters in Job, he has no idea specifically what God's doing in his life. Is God telling you exactly what he's doing in your life right now? Do you feel like you're in the dark when it comes to the suffering that you're walking through right now? You're in good company. Job was there. He didn't understand what God was doing. He didn't like what was happening in his life. Either he expressed that, but here, listen, is what set Job apart. He kept moving towards God in his trouble and his pain, not away from God. He allowed his trials and his suffering to drive him to the sufficiency of God. Even when he did not understand what God was doing, he was driven to the sufficiency of God instead of running away from God to the insufficient gods and idols of this world. Satan thought he had him. And he thought he had him cornered. You know why? Because he, Satan said, I got this. I've done this millions of times before. He took everything away from Job that would be valuable and important and would cause any person in Satan's mind to crumble. Took everything away from him that you would call important. And he stood back and he waited for him to completely fold. But Satan found out that for Job, God was everything. God was his everything. And even when he could not understand, even when he had no clue what God was doing, he kept it, Listen, it wasn't perfectly progressively moving towards God in his troubles, in his questions, in his suffering, rather than running away from God, running to God. And he became for us this incredible example of steadfastness. This incredible example of steadfastness that we can look back and be inspired and encouraged by. And one thing in particular in his life is something that you can take with you today that can help you in your season of suffering. And it's found right there in that phrase. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. That word purpose, circle that. It's the Greek word telos. It means end. It means end goal. 
We get to look back and we get to see what, what Job didn't see in the moment, but had faith that was true. And that's that God was at work, that there was a purpose in the pain. Don't you see what James is doing? He's shepherding you. I don't know who you are this morning, but he's shepherding you. He knows that there's times right now in your life in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the fire, that it feels like God doesn't care. It feels like God has abandoned ship. It feels like God has abandoned the control room of heaven. And he's saying, it's not, look at Job, it's not true. He's in control. He's good. He sees. He hears. He knows. And he's working. He's actively doing something. It may not make sense, but keep moving. Be patient because in time it will. You can trust him. Be patient. Have you stopped to think about that what you're going through, that God is doing something in it, that he's working on you in it, that he's developing you in it. He's not. He got you in that situation to tear you down, but he's trying to build you back up. He has not forgotten about you. He's not left you in the oven too long. Oh, no. Let me come over. Oh, goodness gracious. I didn't mean to burn. He's in his perfect timing. He's working on you so that Romans 8, 28 and 29 can come alive in your life. He'll work together good in your life. He'll take all of those pieces when it feels like your life's falling to pieces. And you'll see that all of them were in the hands of a sovereign God who is piecing them together, creating a masterpiece in your life. He's that in control. You say, well, man, you. Okay. Okay, you make it sound easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Conflict. Conflict in a marriage that is there every day you wake up is not easy. It's hard. Waiting for a prodigal to come home. Man, that's fun to preach about up here. It's torture to live through. Not knowing what the next... Health report's going to be, you've gotten some good ones, but anxiety you feel leading in to this next set of tests that you have is difficult. Getting the bad report is hard. Don't hear me incorrectly. I am not saying it is easy. I'm saying, hey, in the middle of your suffering with a heart of faith, look at Job and see how a man who dealt with intense suffering kept serving God through it, kept praising God through it, kept trusting God through it, kept running to God through it, kept leaning on God and his spirit through it. And as you do the same thing and serve him and praise him and sing to him through the storms, what you'll find is what Job found out is that God certainly is a strong, merciful, compassionate God who never had his eye off of you and never stopped working in your life for your good and his glory. And just when you think uh, James is about to wrap up, he says, oh, one last thing. And you know I'm going to be faithful to the text. So we've got to look at what he's saying here. Oh, one more thing before I wrap up. He said, when you go through suffering, look ahead, look back, and watch your mouth. Watch the way that you talk. With everything you say, last point, practice patience. We learn that there in verse 12. We also learn it in verse 9. Verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door with your words. He's saying, Be patient. Don't grumble. And why is this here? Because when we suffer, what do we tend to do? We tend to grumble. 
The old saying goes, hurt people hurt people. Right? You have a bad day. You have a stressful year. You have a, a difficult week. What are we tempted to do? We're tempted to lash out at people, often people who are closest to us, even when they're not the ones responsible for the circumstances that we're in. We've all been there. We've all had those days. But it's the truth that is right here before us that we all need to consider that our suffering can turn us into grumpy, grumbling people. It's just true. And the rationale he gives us for not grumbling, he goes back to the coming of Christ. He says, the judge is at the door. His hand is on the door. Now that is how near it is. And he hears and he knows and he desires that we not let the pressures of our life cause us and tempt us to turn our words into weapons to where we lash out at people around us as a way for us to cope with what we're dealing with. And he's saying, if you've done that, listen, if you've done that, you need to confess that sin. You need to repent of it. You need to get your heart right with God. And you need to ask for forgiveness. The people that you've used your words against. And then verse 12, finally, he says, be patient with your words by not swearing oaths. But above all, and that basically is a phrase that means to wrap it up. That's why we know this this is part of this section. My brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. In other words, don't say what you don't mean. You hear echoes right here, as we've heard all through James, of the uh, words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus and James are making the same point. Hey, here's the principle. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, James is specifically talking about, he's talking about this in the context of swearing oaths. And here's just a quick background and I'll move on. It, what was happening, we believe, is the poor Christians at that time, uh, this, he's directing this towards them because as poor Christians, they couldn't seem to get a fair shot at anything. So they were needing help. And when they... For example, would need financial assistance. They might need a favor and they would promise to pay something back and they would just uh, pile on all of this binding language. Like, you know, cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Pinky promise. But it was much more extreme that I don't have time to get into this morning. And what James is saying, you shouldn't have to do that. Our suffering is never an excuse to be lazy and lack luster about our personal integrity. You should be known as a truthful person. Even when life is difficult, oaths should not be necessary. Our word should be our bond. So this is a call to truthfulness. All right? But it's not just in the area of swearing oaths. This applies to all areas of our life. It rules out half-truths. It rules out swearing oaths. It rules out exaggeration. Listen, are you known for that? Are you known for someone who exaggerates? Are you known for someone who tells the truth? Are you known for someone that exaggerates stories? You exaggerate the details of the stories to make yourself look better and you leave out details that could make you look worse. Are you known as a reliable person? Are you known as some of the young people? Listen to me. I'm like a senior adult millennial. So people my age, and it's gotten worse moving downward into the younger generations, we are being known as people who do not follow through on our word. And God's word says as a disciple, hey, be different. Don't blend in with that darkness. Do people know that your word can be trusted? Or do you have to promise and throw on binding language? If you say you're going to be somewhere, do you show up? James says a lack of verbal integrity leads to condemnation. 
What does that mean? It can't mean eternal condemnation. Jesus takes our condemnation for us on the cross. So we know that our standing before God can't be altered by failing in this area if we're authentic disciples. So maybe it's a condemnation here that's dealing with being disciplined or chastened by God. It may be condemnation like in the sense of, of missing out on the joy and the freedom in Christ of being a truthful person and walking in obedience. We're not completely sure. But what we do know is that when we don't use our words in ways that glorify God, in ways that are truthful, it leads to nowhere good ever. It doesn't please God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And it's a big deal. So he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And be very, pay very close attention to that when you're walking through suffering. Because we tend, when we can't control our circumstances, to get very loose and liberal with our words, and even hurtful with our language. And we need to remember right here, as this is echoing the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus said about our words. Where does he say that words come from? They come from your heart. Our tongue is tied to our heart. Proverbs says it's the wellspring of life. And you know what a big part of your life is? The words that you say. James makes that point over and over and over and over again. Our words say something about our heart. Our words say something about our life. Our words say something about our faith. And what our dishonest words, our grumpy, grumbling words show us about our heart, I think we can find that what it shows us right here in this passage. You know what it shows us? It shows us that we are lacking faith in our heart in the very truth that James is giving us right here. When we use our language like that, we are, we are lacking faith in the truth that Jesus does have his hand on the doorknob and he's near and he's at the door and he could come at any moment. When we use our words in unhelpful, sinful, hurtful ways, it shows that our heart's not focused on eternity, that we don't believe heaven's just ahead. It reveals that our hearts are not enthralled and captivated by a good and gracious and compassionate and merciful God who has been and continues to be faithful in our life. And if that's where you're at this morning and you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you, here's the good news. This morning, once again, you can fall down at the feet of Jesus in humility, who is your all-sufficient Savior, who will once again hit reset in your life. In humility, you can say, God... I'm coming back to you to a place that I belong but haven't been. And I'm asking you to help me. I don't know where to turn. I'm walking through a season of suffering and I need your help to help me reflect your character. I need your help to help me to control my mouth. I need your help to help my, my, faith, my heart be filled with the faith that eternity in heaven lays just ahead. I need you to fill my heart with the faith that you're working, even when I don't see you and understand how you're working. I need your help to be patient and to wait. The hardest thing God may be calling you to do this morning, Christian, is to wait. For some of us right now, we would, we would rather take a 50 we, from God, we'd rather him come down and give us a 50 step guide of something to follow that involves sweat and blood and tears and scale of mountains that for you to, to get through what you're going through. But God says, wait, that's not what God's called you to do. He says, I want you to wait because it's only in that waiting that I can do the work that you can't see that you need. 
But I can see it. And if you'll wait and you'll persevere and you'll endure. And you'll hope in my return. And you'll be confident in my working. And you'll keep serving me and you'll keep praising me and you'll keep running to me in the middle of it. I promise you, I'm developing you into something. I'm developing you into the disciple that I've called you to be. I'm refining you. Listen, draw near to him. He's using that to humble you. He's using that to develop you. He's using that to develop a deeper trust in your heart in him. When I was a senior in high school, I was... I have to share my testimony with you another time, but I was walking through a very difficult time in my life. For an 18-year-old high schooler in that mindset, it was difficult. It's in that season that God worked on my life and just saved me, radically changed the trajectory of my life. That had not happened, I would have never dated, started, began to date Rebecca. It's just God wrote the whole story, and it happened through a season of suffering. But I remember being in the middle of that, and me and my dad got really close during that time. Of, you know, he began to see that spiritual life come alive in me. And I remember him coming into my room, and he, and he knew I was struggling. He gave me a cassette tape. that <laughs> I, I, I guess I had a cassette player somewhere around the house. This is like early 2000s, late 90s. And it was a cassette tape by a guy named Ron Dunn. If you haven't... If you like to go back and listen to old sermons, look up Ron Dunn, wonderful preacher of the word. He's gone on to be with the Lord and really specialized in preaching on suffering. Had a son who committed suicide, spoke from experience. And my dad gave me that cassette tape and it was one of those sermons that I just locked in and the 35 minutes flew by and I still remember the outline. And Ron Dunn, just kind of a country preacher, had a way of making you think in very simple ways, even with his outline. He really didn't need to preach the whole sermon. And this was his outline. It was on Psalm 37 on waiting on the Lord. And I had three points. And point one was this. The way to trust God is to trust God. Point number two, we only trust God when we have to. Point number three, God will see to it that we have to. Let's pray.